This morning we have a guest preacher, Cleve Callison, broadcaster and communicator extraordinaire. He has a PhD in medieval studies from the University of Wisconsin, and has been a Christian and an Episcopalian for a long time. He served as senior warden here and is currently um, serving on our adult forum, and he was a presenter for that this morning. So please welcome Cleve, and please be seated. Thank you, Karen. Let us pray. Now let us praise the guardian of heaven, the might of the ruler and his wisdom, the work of the glory father, as he, eternal Lord, created the beginning of all wonders. He first shaped the holy creator for the children of old, heaven as a roof. Then the guardian of humanity, the eternal Lord, established middle earth for the children of earth, the almighty Lord. Amen. You might recognize here in the words of Cadman's hymn from 8th century England, a story from the Venerable Bede. We heard a story in the, the epistle today, the acts of the conversion of uh, the eunuch that's met on the way. We'll hear another conversion story in just a minute. Bede tells us the story of the shy lay brother Cadman, who when the harp of song was passed around at the banquet, would flee to the stables out of embarrassment. But one night an angelic figure appeared to him saying, Cadman, sing me something. And Cadman awoke with the hymn that I just read to you on his lips, Cadman's hymn. Now this story tells us a lot about Cadman, but also much about the venerable Bede, who relates it in his mammoth ecclesiastical history of the English people. The church has set aside May 25th as the day on which we especially remember Bede, this gentleman, the greatest scholar of his time in the Western Church. And so it's fitting that we at Holy Trinity should have named our chapel for St. Bede, and we've put our name on his, his name on our banner. His feast day is May 25th, but since we uh, had our last adult forum today, we decided to talk about Bede today, so you're getting a, a two-week preview of his feast day. What a remarkable man and monk Bede was. We need to stop and thank Bede. It's, after all, thanks to his influence that we number our years from the birth of Christ. He was responsible for the uh, fixing of that tradition. At the age of seven, Bede was brought by his parents to the monastery at Jarrow near Durham. He was ordained a deacon at 19 and a priest at 30. In his own words, I wholly applied myself to the study of scripture and amidst the observance of regular discipline and the daily care of singing in the church, I always took delight in learning, teaching, and writing. Bede died in the year 735 on the eve of the Ascension. He died of asthma by some accounts while dictating a translation into English of the Gospel of John. Yes, you could translate the Bible into English in Bede's time. He was quite simply the greatest scholar of his time in the Western Church. He wrote in Latin and Old English poetry, commentaries on scripture, works on chronology, poetics, and most importantly, history. His work is the primary source for our understanding of Anglo-Saxon England, from its beginnings in 449 AD until his time, the early 8th century. 
Bede was acknowledged during his own time and from the moment of his death as an exemplary monk, ardent Christian, and devoted scholar. He was named a Doctor of the Church by the Roman Catholic Church, the only native-born Englishman ever so named, in 1899 and was canonized in 1935. Bede's account of Cadman is one of many stories from the ecclesiastical history that show us Bede's profound understanding of the transformation of that old Germanic culture of the Angles and Saxons into the new wine of Christianity. In 597, about a century and a half after the pagan Angles and Saxons had arrived from the continent, to overrun the Christian Celts, which were then in Britain, Pope Gregory the Great sent the missionary Augustine to reclaim the island of Britain for the faith. The outcome was by no means certain by Bede's time, another century or so later, but Christianity was well on its way to overcoming paganism among the Angles and the Saxons. How did it happen that this new dispensation so quickly overcame the old ways? so thoroughly as to produce a, a Cadman or even a Bede himself? Well, part of the answer lies in the dedication and zeal of the missionaries themselves, of course, but part must surely also lie in that old Germanic warrior culture that they found in the Angles and Saxons, the ones that the invaders had brought with them from the continent. In the first century, the Roman historian Tacitus described the comitatus, and this may be the only Latin word I'll throw at you today, but it's the word that means a tightly knit band of warriors and a king. This was the organizing principle of that Germanic tribal culture that was brought over from the continent. The king's job is to provide protection to his people. They, in turn, pledge to defend him to the death. It's in some ways kind of the ancestor of the entire feudal system. In such a society as that, the highest virtue of the ruler is generosity. And the follower, the highest virtue, is loyalty. And the greatest sin is treachery. The worst fate that can befall a warrior is exile from his lord's company and from the hall. The archetypal place, in fact, for the retainer in Anglo-Saxon literature, Old English literature, is with the beloved king feasting in the hall. I think we at Holy Trinity can appreciate the idea of feasting in the hall. We do a lot of that. In the greatest Old English poem, Beowulf, the anonymous author paints a picture of the great hall of Herod and its wise king. Hrothgar was given success in warfare, glory in battle, so that his thanes gladly obeyed him, and their company grew into a great band of warriors. At the feast, he gave out rings, treasure, the hall rang with the sound of the harp, the clear song of the minstrel. Thus these thanes lived in joy, happy, until one began to do evil deeds, a hellish enemy. Please note that word, until, which is a favorite of the Beowulf poet. Each night the monster Grendel, whom Beowulf must kill, slaughters 30 of the king's thanes in their sleep. Grendel is the ultimate exile, driven to violence by the joys he cannot share. The horror of his ravages is directed not to warriors in battle, but to men at the hall, feasting, a pattern of ordered society. 
Well, what does all of this have to do with Bede and with the beginnings of the church in England? Well, I would argue a lot, very much, as a way of eliminating how receptive this pagan culture was to the good news of Christ. It has been said that the unique contribution of Hebraic culture to the world was the sense, which was later caught up into Christianity, of the purpose and the end of history. God did not merely create the world and set it going, but he's moving it forward in time, and he has a purpose for its end. Hebraism created and Christianity modified a genuine vision of the end times, an eschatology. Unlike, for example, the Greeks, who had gods and goddesses and creation myths, but really were not moving toward a final end. It just was to continue, perhaps forever. But German paganism did have an eschatology. It did have a vision of the end times. The difference is that Germanic myth saw history moving downward to its inevitable destruction. This Middle Earth is moving toward its final end when the one-eyed god Odin will fall to the gray wolf and the world serpent will devour the tree of life and the giants will arrive in their ship made from the fingernails of the dead. That twilight will see men and gods together doing battle with the giants and the other elemental forces, like Grendel, the forces of chaos and nightfall. And nightfall will win. Warriors may live for a time in a world of pleasures and joys of the hall until, until the monsters come. And come they always will. There's a genuine poignancy to the way in which the Anglo-Saxon poets and writers viewed their ancestors' heroic age. Beowulf may kill the dragon that later ravages his people, but his death in that fight means that most of his people will die anyway. But the mood is not despairing, as we might expect. It's elegiac. The end is always the same, but the deeds are noble, and the nobility shines through regardless of the outcome. Bede and the other Christian writers of the Anglo-Saxon era looked back on a haunted landscape of their past that would, in due course, be illuminated by the light of Christ. But the imaginative leap was perhaps not so great. Judas, for example, could be likened to a disloyal thane. Alienation from God could be represented as exile from the hall. The image of the generous king could become at times merged with that of the Father in heaven, or at other times with Christ at the head of his own comitatus. Think of the Last Supper, surrounded by his loyal band of disciples. One of the most poignant stories in Bede's ecclesiastical history tells us of the conversion of King Edwin of Northumbria. We're in, of course, a hall. The king has summoned his loyal retainers so that they may hear the gospel from a missionary sent by Augustine in Canterbury. And Bede tells us this. To this teaching, a counselor and nobleman gave assent and spoke in this manner. It seems to me as follows, O King, that this present life of man on earth, in comparison with the time that is unknown to us, is as if you were seated at the banquet table with your counselors and retainers in the midst of winter. The fire is kindled and the hall is warmed, but outside it rains and snows and storms. 
Then there comes in a sparrow. It quickly flies through that hall. It comes in through one door and goes out through another. And lo, during the time that it is within, there is neither rain, nor storms, nor winter. But that time is of the blink of an eye, and the least of times. Then it soon, from the winter to the winter, again returns. So then, this life of man appears like the briefest space of time. What goes before, or what follows thereafter, we know not. And therefore, if this new teaching brings us anything more certain and more fitting, then it is worthy that we follow it. And so, says Bede, King Edwin and all his court and his kingdom all embrace the new teaching of Christ. In Bede's work, it's a defining moment of that missionary movement in England. The great commission to go forth and enlighten the world was being fulfilled. The light of Christ was being cast in the darkness the spread of the gospel was advanced, and the English church, whose descendants we are, was one step further on its way to glorifying God and exalting the ascended Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so the church sets aside this prayer for Bede to honor this great and gentle scholar. Heavenly Father, you called your servant Bede while still a child, to devote his life in your service in the disciplines of religion and scholarship. Grant that as he labored in the Spirit to bring the riches of your truth to his generation, so we, in our various vocations, may strive to make you known in all the world. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen.